Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. The amazing story of the prophet Jonah has much to teach us, not only about the wayward heart of Jonah, but about us and our weakness. And it teaches us about the very heart of God. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. I want you to turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. We began last week by looking at Jonah, chapter 1. The Lord willing, next week it'll be Jonah, chapter 3, and then the week after that, Jonah, chapter 4. All very logical and routine. I'll summarize what we did with Jonah 1 in a few moments, but let's begin by reading from Jonah, chapter 2. But I'll begin at verse uh, 17 of chapter 1, just simply to provide the context. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let me ask you to recall a moment, perhaps, when you were lost. You were driving along, and... You just got lost. You couldn't find where you had to be. So you did what you did before you had technology in your car, like GPSs. You pulled over at a service station, and you asked somebody for directions. And that person spoke to you this way. Well, you just go south from here, and when you get about a mile or two kilometers up the road, you turn east, and you go east for another two or three kilometers, and then you turn north, and then you'll be there. Except you have no concept of where south is. And you wonder, now what? But you don't want to appear stupid. So you just say thank you, and you get in your car, and you hope that when he or she watches you drive away that you turn south because you don't understand the points of the compass. Do you have any idea where north is from where you're sitting? See, a lot of us are directionally challenged, but it is that way. 
Stop to think about that for a moment and stop to think about the importance of understanding. Or perhaps, you know, you're not directionally challenged at all and you get it, but you have some real concerns when it comes to terms about finance. So you sit down with your banker or financial advisor and the banker begins to talk to you, to you about credit and debit and liquidity and equity and gross um, national product and all that sort of stuff, and you have no idea about what liquidity means when it comes to finance. And now you have to grow in understanding. And you have to admit that you don't know. And you have to say to your financial banker or advisor, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. I don't understand. And the financial advisor will have to give you some insight. Just like, you know, these 30% of the kids who are going to come to summer camp beginning tomorrow may not understand the concept of grace may think of church as a building. Don't understand the idea of community. When you talk about a cross to them, they think about an intersection or about a layout on their train table, but haven't got a clue about the meaning of a cross. And then you have to explain. You have to lead them into understanding. Jonah is on a journey. He has been summoned by God. This is what we looked at last week. We were, he was summoned by God. He says, now I want you to go to this great city of Nineveh because their wickedness has come up before me and I want you to preach a warning to them. And later on in chapter 3, we will hear what that preaching was. It's one of the world's shortest sermons. Repent. Because if you don't, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed wouldn't pass a homiletics test at all. Repent. And Jonah doesn't want to. Jonah has lived in northern Israel at a time when Jeroboam II was king. It was a time of prosperity. Jeroboam II had led Israel back to expanding its borders. People were employed. Things were going well, except Jeroboam II was considered an evil king because he continued in the practices of Jeroboam I, namely inviting the people of Israel to worship the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. And throughout the history of northern Israel, you hear that refrain read in the text all the time that they had not abandoned that type of worship. But Jonah was a professional, experienced prophet. And so when he hears the word of the Lord, go to Nineveh, he knows what God is after. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going. He swerves from the path. And he does it for very good reasons in his mind. He hates the Assyrians. He knows they are wicked and cruel and a challenge to the future of Israel. And he thinks it's better if the world would be without them. 
And so he runs. He says, I'm not going. I'm not going. And so he gets on the ship to Tarshish. And he goes below the deck and he sleeps. In the meantime, the Lord hurls a storm. You know, we have read that, that Jonah was hurled into the depths of the seas. The very same word in, the, in chapter 1. The Lord hurls a storm. And the sailors on that ship to Tarsha, of Tarshish, you know, try desperately to lighten the ship. They, they throw their cargo overboard. They throw away their futures. Because they know if they drown, they have no future at all. And then they come to Jonah because he had told them he was running from the Lord. They come to Jonah and says, now, what God do you serve? Well, I'm a, a Hebrew. I'm a descendant of Abraham. And Abraham has a commission that applies to the people of Israel. I will bless you so that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he comes to Gateway Church and he says, I will bless you so that in you, the 30% of those kids who come to summer camp tomorrow will receive a blessing. You are here to be gracious and merciful. You are here to have understood the journey of Jesus to the cross. You are here so that you can be able to explain that journey and how it applies to you personally and how it can apply to them moving forward. And the sailors hear that and they are terrified. Because they understand that this storm is not going to abate, but they try. They try desperately until finally Jonah says, I told you, chuck me overboard. Hurl me into the depth of the sea. Be God's hands. And so they do it. And the sea calms down. And there is this reality that Jonah, in his sacrifice has been the substitute for the death of the sailors. Later on, Caiaphas, the high priest, at the time when Jesus lived and worked in Jerusalem and Israel, Caiaphas would say, it is better that one person die for the people rather than that all the people should die. And he didn't realize it, but he was prophesying what was happening with Jesus, that Jesus would die so that you and I might live. And as Jonah gets chucked overboard, God appoints a great fish and swallows Jonah up. And then Jonah goes down into the depths of the ocean. And he is learning something. He is coming to understand something. In his distress, notice that, in his distress, and when Pastor Jason read from uh, the book of Corinthians, Paul talked about his distress also. But in his distress, Jonah does something that we all do in our worry and in our distress. We pray. Some wag once said, you don't ever have to worry about prayer in school. As long as there are math exams, there will be prayer in school. And that is true. Have you ever been distressed? As I was thinking about that this past week, 
because I grew up with George DeYoung. He was a member of the Bethel Christian Reformed Church in Brockville, Ontario, and, and he was, he's a little younger than I am. Well, he's a lot younger than I am, but I grew up with his family. Uh, his older brother was a good friend, and his father was a chef who cooked at summer camps. And in the evenings, when all the kids were asleep, he'd bring out special food for all the camp counselors. We all loved George's father, Sebron. And, and not only that, he, he had a tremendous sense of humor. But in distress, you would call out to the Lord. The reality of growing in faith is the reality of dealing with distress. I was thinking about that this week, and I remember an experience when I was in grade 10. I wasn't doing so well at French. I'll be honest, I was failing at French. And so I went to my teacher, because I had just received a test, and it was not encouraging. And I said to my teacher, I need help. And this is what he said to me. He says, it is good that you are here to admit that you're ignorant. And I thought, I don't like that very much. That doesn't sound very encouraging. He says, because only when you are ignorant and admit that you are ignorant can you begin to grow in understanding. Uh, oh, I still didn't like it. But at the end of the year, I passed French. Not by much, but I passed it. And you learn. You learn from things. And Jonah is experiencing distress. And he prays, but note that he stays in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. God doesn't rescue him immediately. He is going to give Jonah some time to think, to struggle, <coughs> to understand. And as Jonah deals with being hurled into the depths of the sea and he recognizes that, you know, he's being surrounded and that the, the earth is barred against him, that he can't so readily escape, he learns three things. Number one, the nature of his sin. This is not just simply a mistake that Jonah made when he ran from God. This is just not simply something that he says, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't intend to do that. Now, this was a deliberate rebellion. The word of the Lord had come to him. Jonah was an experienced prophet. He knew the sound of God's voice. And Jonah said, no, I won't go. Quit talking to me about this stuff because I would rather have the Assyrians destroyed rather than redeemed. I won't go. So he needed to learn the reality of what sin is. Sin is not just simply a mistake. Sin is a rebellion against God. 
And we, we like to engage in denial about that. We, we like to suppress the truth. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. That, you know, man in his ignorance and his determination has suppressed the truth. He says, no, I won't deal with it. I don't want to understand that. A lot of times people do that with their finances. They are deeply in debt and they say, ah, oh, don't worry, it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay until you begin to deal with it. Until you begin to be honest with it. If you're lost on the road and you don't know where south, north, east, or west is, it, you will stay lost until you learn to deal with it. Until you come to a level of understanding. The reality is, is that we need to quit denying the truth. So we heard from Corinthians and we sang about life and death, a reflection of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sin and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil and so forth. But then the catechism goes on and asks, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Anyone remember catechism? The answer to that question? Three things. Number one, how great my sin and misery are. In other words, Jonah had to come to understand that he had to quit rebelling. He had to quit running. He had to quit denying. He had to come to acceptance. That was an understanding level. How great my sin and misery are. Secondly, how I am set free from my sin and misery. Now, how am I set free? Well, we, we like to think about our own abilities and our own provisions. Just listen to all the conversations about climate change and how we can change in the future. They talk about carbon capture and they talk about all sorts of technological breakthroughs and, and so forth. So we like to think that with technology and with therapy and all of that type of stuff, we can fix ourselves or at least we can contribute to fixing ourselves. And the scripture says, no, you can't. I would like you to look straight up. Just look straight up. And you see all these lights. Do you see them? And do you see what's at the center of all of those lights? Dead flies. Now there is a perfect illustration of the doctrine of total depravity. We're not bad, but we all have a flaw. And the light can't fix itself. And some extraordinary thing will have to come in, namely a scissor lift, because there's nothing in this building right now that can fix that. Not even a vacuum cleaner, because the hose isn't long enough. You look at that, and then you say, yeah, but Pastor Bill, those lights are okay. Now, they're not on at the moment, 
But no dead flies in there. Yeah, I know those are symbols of angelic presence in your life. So perfect. I have permission to do this from the custodian, right? He's not going to take offense. He said those flies were there before I started. Right? But but look at that. And someday they'll all be clean. Somebody will come in with the scissor lift, clean it all up, and then when you look up, you say, "That's my new nature in Christ." I have been cleansed. I have been justified. Notice the heart of what Jonah does with this prayer. He says, in my distress I called to the Lord and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths. And then he says in verse 4, I have been banished from your sight Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now stop, think about that for a moment. I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, he was a prophet to northern Israel. They didn't go to Jerusalem. They didn't go to the temple. They went to the calves of Dan and Bethel. But Jonah says, I will look to the temple. Why? Well, and I understand that, you know, the team that just came back from Jordan and Egypt and Israel slept on the top of Mount Sinai one night with the Bedouins, right? And the reality is, is that God from Mount Sinai gave his moral law. And where is a copy of the moral law kept? in the Ark of the Covenant. And where was the Ark of the Covenant kept? In the temple. And what was on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat of God. And there, once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the high priest would come and sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial substitutionary lamb. And the sins of the people would be atoned for. And there we today look not to a chest but to a cross because on the cross Jesus died once and for all. He poured out his blood once and for all so that we could be restored. And in that restoration of the blood once and for all there is this understanding of how we can begin to say thanks because that's the third element of question and answer of the question and answer what must I know to live and die in the joy of this comfort how I can be grateful for this salvation and how we are grateful is that we begin to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we act with mercy and justice and care we grow so, you know, Pastor Marcel mentioned that Jeff and Karen Kears, Jeff was, I mean, it shows you how old we're getting, but Jeff was one of the teachers of my sons in Fraser Valley Christian High School. They're married 30 years. Think for a moment about the event of 30 years ago. They stood together, I'm going to assume and presume, someplace in a community of faith. They faced each other, they held hands, and then the pastor said, well, you may declare your vow or you may repeat after me or they may have quoted it from memory, whatever it was. 
And then, you know, Karen said to Jeff, and Jeff said to Karen, I take you to be my husband, I take you to be my wife. And in that moment, when the pastor says, I now declare you to be husband and wife, everything changed. It was done. Everything changed. It, it's like me having a long vacuum cleaner hose and being able to stick it up there, and all of a sudden that black spot up there is gone, and everything changes. But while they got married 30 years ago, they have unfolded the meaning of that marriage over the last 30 years. They have children. They have developed routines. They probably have had a fight or two. They've had to forgive each other. They may have had to face financial crises or illness. But for 30 years, they lived out that moment when life changed for them and they were husband and wife. And when the blood of Jesus was shed for you, your life changed in a moment just like that. But now you have to clean out that life into the future and live for Jesus a life that is true. And so Jonah comes and, and, and he repeats this whole idea. He says, when my life was ebb ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, to the place where we look for blood sacrifice and for moral law. Because in the Ark of the Covenant was the moral law of God. Summarized for us with the Shema that George DeYoung led us with in the opening of the service. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That takes effort. That takes commitment. That takes hard work. That takes the desire to walk and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It takes a journey of understanding. So, Marcel spoke about this. And hopefully you'll take one Put it around your wrist and pray, in this case, for Caitlin. That also happens to me, one of my granddaughter's names. I don't think it's the same one, but, you know, I will pray for a Caitlin this week. But I want to say something to you. I hope I don't offend you. And I want to say something especially to those of you who have decided to stay home from church and just worship online. It is time to get your butt back in the chair here. I know it's convenient. The Lazy Boy chair is nice. You can worship in your pajamas. You can have a cup of coffee. And it's really convenient. I know that. But a church without being together is a church without walls. It's a church without community. It's a church without discipline. 
and it's a church without opportunity, you won't be able to get one of those at the front door of your house today. You have to be here. Some of you can't. I recognize limitations of age and illness and mobility issues. I understand all of that, and that's fine and dandy. But most of us can be. And it's time to no longer let the excuse of COVID rule. It is time to come back. It is time to be here. It is time to worship together. It is time to be a community. Let all God's people say, amen. The reality of growing in understanding is the reality of saying and understanding salvation is from the Lord. It is his gift. The church is not our creation. The church is his creation. And the church is salt and light and yeast in the world. And the church needs to grow. And when Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord, God said to the fish, burp. And up he came. But recognize something. He wasn't mature in his faith. His racist attitude was still there. Just go ahead and read to chapter 4. Chapter 4, he comes back to God when the, the Ninevites have repented and says, I told you. I told you about your mercy, and I don't want these people to have mercy. I told you. Jonah needs to grow. God is patient with us. Once he sees us turn, even slightly a little bit, he gives us opportunity to grow, to understand, to mature in Jesus. And the reality is, is that all of us need to grow. And how can we do that? Oh, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I learned that song in Sunday school, or at vacation Bible school. But read your Bible. Study the Bible. Learn the songs of faith. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Think of any other better definition for the doctrine of election than that? I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Learn to sing the songs of faith. Study the catechism. Be part of a small group. Come here to worship regularly, faithfully, Yearly, I talked to somebody in the foyer this morning who said to me, I've been a member of this congregation for over 70 years and still comes because it's important to be part of a community of faith. Grow. Uh, St. Augustine says, I have a faith that seeks understanding. I have a faith that seeks to be on this journey with God. Understanding salvation is from the Lord. We can't save ourselves. But he comes to us in Jesus Christ and he sets us free. So what do I have on this day?
because there is a measure of understanding and that is this I have hope hope for the summer camp hope for this community of Gateway Church hope for the greater community of the church around the world I have hope why well Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 sums up my hope he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion and you may say well yeah I'm not good enough I need to understand more today is the first day of the rest of your life grow in faith walk in this journey of understanding put effort into it and God will bless you you've been listening to the latest message in our summer series in the book of Jonah where we're learning about the heart of mankind and the heart of God. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.